0: This is episode number 27, the long form of Demona Hoffman and I Have a Podcast. Yo, what's going on, everybody? I am Vinny Potestivo. This is I Have a Podcast, and our guest is none other than the Demona Hoffman. And in this special long form episode of I Have that you are about to listen to, my team and I have taken the best the funniest, the most honest and impactful soundbites from our interview with Damona and have compiled them into one gigantic, epic, extended play version of I Have a Podcast, which I am extremely proud to present to you.
1: Well, it, it started initially, nobody knew what podcasting was. It had been around for a while, but the especially coming from broadcast network and cable television, it was so foreign to most people that uh, I initially started out doing it as an internet radio show. So I went to a studio where you know, I paid for space and they would broadcast it, stream it on their platform. So I did it live for I think I did it that way for six years, six, six and a half years, um live every week, and then we would take that and Distribute it on on iTunes, Stitcher, all of the all of the above, and then um, about two years ago, I realized that I I have a space in my house that I could build my own studio and really control my own content. I also realized that the the level of podcasting was increasing as more money was coming into the game and more more. Uh, bigger name talent was really stepping up the level production quality that was expected from podcasting. I was like, I can't do this live anymore. I have to be able to edit it and really shape it like I did when I was a TV executive. So I built out my studio here and I now do three podcasts from my home studio. I do uh, dates and mate ch- dates, I do dates and mates, which is my flagship show on dating and relationships. I do a business podcast called I Make a Living, which I do for the the Books brand, and that's all about entrepreneurship and how to carve your own path. And then I also freelance for NPR's Life Kit, and that's all done from right here in my garage.
0: And was that ever part of the plan to be able to to do all that? Because like we to work for my up- garage. <laughs> Yeah, we didn't grow up thinking that, like, you know, this would ever be done from home. Like, I definitely thought I'd be in a studio by craft services in between hair, makeup and craft services for the rest of my life working in talent. I never thought that this would be a possibility. And I love the virtual piece of it.
1: I love it. At the same time, I also miss the not virtual piece of it. Um yeah and it's been a continual evolution. So no, I never I never intended to do any of this to be honest with you, Vinny. Like I never intended to even be on camera on the mic. Um, you know, when when I started as a TV executive, my goal was to create content that other people were in. <laughs> but because I had that background, yeah. And I also developed my brand as a dating and relationship coach, all while I was also producing television. It was a very natural transition. So I never think too much about like where am I ultimately going? I think what what am I what do I want to do next, and what do the next like one to two years look like? Well
0: when you think of well, when you think of those next projects, what what is it that that is like in theme? Is it people? Is it energy? Is it purpose? Like, what's the, what's the sort of commonality be- behind those? Because you have you have a background in casting a bit I as well. Do. Yes? I like
1: do. I do. You're pulling all. Oh, all, all the back background. I, I I
0: just love your background <laughs> and where you're at right now because like it's one thing to be a storyteller. It's another thing like in ours to be story doers and makers and formatters and to let the storytellers tell their story. And I love what you've done in the podcast space. And as I stepped into it, you're definitely one of the people that I've looked up to.
1: When I look to the future, I just really think about what do I want to do next? Like, what do I enjoy doing? And I know I enjoy, I enjoy telling people stories and helping people like really um, get to create the life that they want. So I do that both in love and also in Entrepreneurship and in a lot of different, um, a lot of different areas of your life, and I just also I love talking to people. I love connecting to people, and I also love entertaining people. So I don't always know exactly what it looks like. I still love television, and Vinny, I got a fire in my belly to do another show. I'm telling you. <laughs> In the next five yeah, years, it's it. going to happen. Excited, yeah. I don't know where it's going to happen, but somehow it's going to happen. But I really look at the podcast. I've always looked at the podcast as my content engine. So everything I do from my my blog to my social media to articles that I write, I now write for LA Times and Washington Post. It, I look at it all as being connected to the podcast and I pull elements of it and repurpose elements or use them as jumping off points for different content streams. But it all begins with what happens here in my garage in this little box. <laughs> Sometimes you don't choose your path. Your path chooses you. So I, when I was working in casting, actually, I was uh, at CBS and working at the network and finding that there were really talented actors that just did not know what to do to get noticed by someone like you or me. And they didn't have the right headshots. They didn't know what to do when they got in the room. They were maybe really well-trained, but there's this whole other piece of marketing and presentation that was not being taught to actors. So I started out teaching these marketing classes at night on on all those things that I talked about. And I was dating at the time and on dating apps and realized the similarities between a headshot and a profile pic and a first date and an audition. So I ended up applying those techniques that I was teaching actors to my own online dating experience. And I met my husband and people were like, well, how'd you meet him? Wait, online dating, it actually works? Well, it never worked for me. And I would look at their profile and find that there was a mismatch between what they thought that they were saying and what they actually were putting out into the world. So I started initially just as a profile writer and it was never intended as a career. I just was, do- I, the whole time I was a TV executive. I did that on the side. It was all word of mouth. People were yeah. just like, Demona's doing, go to Demona, get your profile on. And after yeah, I, yeah, she'll make
0: you better. I, it's, <laughs> fu- it's funny, to, Domona, It's funny to think of you sitting there looking through all these profiles, and you're just like, oh, if only you would have said X, Y, Z, then it could have, you could have booked this gig. It could have been so easy for you, guy. But like, you just, it's not how you represent your talent, buddy. It's just, it's just like, it's so frustrating sometimes when wh- how off people's interpretations of of how they're talent is perceived and also projected. So it's awesome to hear that you saw that pain point and we're like, let's fix
1: this. (laughs) Yeah. And sometimes it's so subtle, Vinny, like, I mean, you know, this, like it it could just be that you're showing too much skin and it makes people think like you're never going to get called in for the doctor if they're looking at you and thinking like, she's she'd be better as like girl in a bar, you know, like and right. it's the same thing with dating. It's just like, well, you got to sort of cast yourself into your love story. Like, what do you want people to see? Of course, we are all multifaceted, multidimensional. No, you know, you can't put people in a box. But at the same time, I I look at your profile as you're the curator of the museum of your life. So you don't put all your paintings out there on the floor. You need to curate them and show people the ones that tell the story that you want to tell them at first. And, And it's always a progression. Like I would say this to actors too: get them to think of you for one thing before they'll think of you for everything. So if you just just get in the door, look, if you know you always go in, like I have a friend that played the bellhop, seriously, no joke, about a dozen times. I don't know what it was about him that made everybody think that he was a bellhop, but he kept booking bellhops. And then he would go in and do his best work every time. And then he would get hired again and hired again. And eventually he was able to break out of being the bellhop. But like, I don't know, I would rather be paid to be a bellhop than to not be paid or be working at all. And a lot of people fight against that idea of just like no no no, don't put me in a box. And believe me, as a person of color and like not just as a person of color, as a person who is black, Jewish, you know, biracial, like I I come from I and I'm from the Midwest where like I no one looked like me. No one had my background. No one had my religious experience. It it was it, it, I've always been a little bit of a fish out of water. And so I understand the pushback of not wanting to be put in a box, but at the same time, you have to know which parts of yourself to shine a light on for the opportunity that's in front of you at the moment.
0: And has that changed? Because we talk about this initially as like a photo and I'm like, and then video profiles. I'm like, oh man, you go and change the rules. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I don't know if we're ready for video profiles to be honest. Um I they're coming. They're I mean they've been here. They've been here. Yeah. Match match tried it and there's a bunch of dating apps that are like, you know, video dating, chat roulette kind of things. I um I still think it's a little bit it's that process of it's like the drip of getting to know someone over time. And like Dr. Helen Fisher, whose work I follow and adore, she talks about slow love or slow dating and really letting that, that connection unfold and revealing your, yourself in increments. Over time, like I feel like now we're in such a rush. That's that's the biggest change that I've seen since I started coaching like fifteen ish years ago. Is the speed of dating? Like everybody's just like, I want to get to the result. I want to get to the end. And I think that's it's part. It's mostly I think driven by the way we communicate now and social media. People want to blame the dating apps, but I don't think the dating apps are the problem. I think it's it's the technology that that has made everything accessible at the blink of an eye that makes us then put that same pressure onto a process that really does take time. You can't know what the outcome of your relationship is going to be. You can't know if they're the one, the time that you meet them. You have to see how you interact over time. You have to build trust through a series of interactions and you just can't shortcut that. I I find that a lot of people are not thinking about the audience first. I'm always like, it's not, it's never about me. It's not like, well, I want to talk about this. And I come to this place eight years later, having probably made the wrong choices in, in times in the past, but it's not about what, show I want to make or what I want to talk about it's about what does the audience need to know and who who do I want to be my audience who do I who do I think would benefit from this information these conversations who who would get this and my audience has also evolved over the years and I continue to listen to them you know this is why I have a dialogue I really have an open dialogue I have people submit questions for my show. And partially it's because I I love doing advice. Let's you know the column I have in LA Times is an advice column. I love doing that. But I also love hearing what are you what are you thinking about? What are you struggling with? What do you need to know? Because that actually does help steer the content that I'm making.
0: Um you talk about um knowing your audience and um there's two two ways I'd like to approach this conversation. One is um, when do you feel like you truly know your, when, when do you know your audience? Like, how do you know your audience? And then the second part is like, can you explain the benefits to why it's important to even project who you want your audience to be? Because like you, if you could, if you could pick an audience, like pick, pick the audience you want and there's, there's part of picking your audience and there's part of your audience picking you. So can you walk me through a little bit about it? Cause you've had several podcasts. And they must be different experiences, right? Different conversations, different. Oh yeah,
1: energies. yeah. They're com- they're completely different um, audiences, really. I-, I can talk most about dates and mates because that is a hundred percent my audience that I've built. Versus, um, I make a living. I that I took over that podcast in season two, so there's always was already a, an established audience for that show. Plus, it's an a, established brand. It's a, you know, accounting solution that a lot of entrepreneurs use. So that to me, I was like, I need to speak to the audience that's already there. Dates and mates really evolved based on the responses I was getting to certain topics. And I've always believed in inclusivity and wanted to create a space that was, that really spoke to a lot of different people's experiences in love. I will say at the beginning, I, you know, there's all these marketing experts, right. And people who will tell you like, this is what you should do with your business. And, uh, people, I was like, I want to be really, Well, I'll say
0: there's answers everywhere. If you look for them, right. There's answers (laughs) everywhere you look.
1: (laughs) Right. And, and you also be
0: careful where you look.
1: (laughs) I feel like you know, comparison, what do they say? Like comparison is the enemy of, I see, I, I'm not good with quotes like that, but <laughs> if you are looking at what other people are doing, you're always going to be like, I'm not doing enough. So I was like, you know, this person's making this much money coaching and this person's podcast is number one. And like, what do I need to do? And I was instructed to, to really fine tune my audience, which is a smart, smart, thought process, but to really focus it in on like, look, you got to have women or men. And I've just always been someone who's really gender inclusive and inclusive of different orientations and different, different, um, you know, just different lifestyles. And I was like, I don't know, like, I don't really want to do that. I don't want to make people have to declare like I am a cisgender, you know, straight woman looking for a man but that was kind of the direction because that's all that was out there. That was the direction I was pushed into. And then I feel like I developed an audience that wasn't really mine necessarily. So as mm-hmm. I've, I have moved into topics that are a little bit more in alignment with the way that I look in the world at the world, I have developed a, I have a lot of queer listeners. I have a lot of, of I have bisexual listeners, I have transgender listeners, I have people that choose not to define their their orientation or their um their gender identity at all and I love that. I love that this can be a safe place where everyone can get love. And that and I and now I work with the OK Cupid brand which I feel like has also been been on that path for a long time. They were like the first to add different gender, um, you know, selections on their app. And I love that. Like now it feels like, ah, this is, this is my audience. Like I, yes, I still speak to straight cisgender women, but I like that. It, it doesn't have to be defined by the way that other people told me it has to be defined. And that has opened up the possibility of a new audience of people that also feel the same way that I do. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it's interesting when you talk about, um, you know, landing on an audience that isn't necessarily your, your, your audience. And I'm uh, sort of put into a place where I'm like, I can imagine people feeling like needing to serve their audience and maybe being always off or feeling disconnected. And I can see how people feel like they might not be doing a great job at communicating a message if the audience isn't receiving it. And it's a great awareness to say, maybe it's not you or your message. Maybe it is the wrong audience because the wrong audience in front of the right message will give you a bad result.
1: Yeah. Like I remember I did an episode on politics and dating because at the as Trump was running for office we didn't know what was going to happen but yeah. there was it was a really charged time i mean still we are more divided politically in relationships than ever before that has now taken a bigger like if we look at the ok cupid data people are more likely now to date outside of their geographic area than outside of their political political area. And that there's never been a time in history where that was more true. It's it's surpassed gender, it's surpassed religion. It's the most important thing to most people on their list. And I was feeling that and and I felt like my audience needed to know that. And so I did a topic on um on politics and love. And I got a couple of very nasty responses and And you can read them on my reviews if you'd like. And people were like, you shouldn't talk about politics. It has no place in dating. Like, I'm here to listen to dating. And it was like, but you can't extricate that. Those two things are not mutually exclusive. I have to talk about politics. And yes, it's not necessarily, like I have this conversation with my producer a lot because I feel like my show is not a political show. It's not there. I'm not there to... To promote my political agenda or perspective. But again, it's about inclusivity. I am, I would be doing my audience a disservice if I didn't at least raise the question and create the platform for the conversation to unfold. So that person probably unsubscribed, (laughs) but you kind of have to know the difference between what is one person's Offhanded comment and experience and serving the larger audience. And and it's sort of it's a dance to to thread those two those those different um points of view.
0: I I, I love um that you said to discern, you know, the volume of this one person's voice because the people who complain do tend to be the loudest. <laughs> Way more so than happy applause. So exactly. it certainly can feel you know, like the whole world is coming down on you just because, you know, one person from who had one you know bad day and, and an interesting upbringing that led to an interesting perspective, I'm sure
1: <laughs> um, yes,
0: you know, to really change the energy out there completely,
1: and I'll admit that's been um a challenging thing for me to embrace as my brand has gotten bigger and um people see me more places <laughs> like it's amazing also with social media growing at the same time how much um agency people feel to attack not only what you're doing but also like everything about yourself like i did this episode Uh, So I'm I'm the love expert on the Drew Barrymore show. And I'm just there. Vinny, I am just there to help people. I'm giving them my (laughs) advice from 15 years of coaching people on dating, predominantly helping people through the use of dating apps. And like I got this this one person that was just hella mad. And they were like... (laughs) Your dating advice is trashy. Dating apps are trashy. Also, your hair sucks and you're probably not a very good mom. I was just like, why? Why do we have to go there? (laughs) You're
0: probably (laughs) left-handed. You probably don't even like the color yellow. You probably probably spell spell correspondent wrong.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It is so extra.
0: By the way, everyone's an expert. Everyone's an expert, huh?
1: (laughs) Right. (laughs) But I'm like, I'm also like, do... I I think we really need a cultural (laughs) shift around this of just like, I mean, and I've observed this not even just just with my own content, but like people are like, oh, I was trying to, you know, bitch about Peloton instructors and everybody on the page like jumped on. I'm just like, why do you need to bitch about Peloton instructors? Can you just accept that they're doing their best? (laughs) They're doing their best and trying to help you. And can that be it? But, you know, it's just a, (laughs) it's a touchy time.
0: I was going to say they need to be taught. Creative feedback, you know, creative criticism. You know, that's a beautiful painting and I love those colors. And a different palette to do that in might be these over here or, or that's a wonderful direction. And there's a wonderful, one of my favorite clients, Peter Thomas Roth, he says this to me, Vinny, that's a great idea. You know, another way to do it is
1: <laughs> since, <laughs>
0: since we're throwing in expert opinion here you know another way to go ahead and do it
1: coming from the background in traditional media where we did have to do that yeah we learned that skill set but a lot of people have that eye now or that ear and haven't gotten the rest of the education and so I just like to like it's kind of like the, the do no harm philosophy. (laughs) And I really do listen to my, to, to my listeners. Like if you really have listened to my show and something I've said, like I, there was an episode where I misgendered somebody and more than a couple of my listeners uh, realized it and wrote to me. I'm not offended by that. I went back and I rewrote, I re uh, recorded the episode. I, I, I did uh, an apology on Instagram, you know, and I really aimed to fix my mistake. At the same time, if people just ha- are like, How you cool know, I knew I'd they re- could reach out to you. Right, right. Because I really am listening to my audience. And if if they are like, I really need information. This is why I, I like creating the dialogue and having people submit their questions, because then I really know what they need to know. They're like, have you done an uh, an episode on interracial dating. Have you done an episode on this? And I can say, yes, I have. I mean, there's pretty much no topic in eight years that I have not covered. So I'm like, yes, I've done that. But I forget because I've been doing it so long. Like to me, two years ago, I'm just it feels like yesterday, but I'm like, oh yeah, that was two years ago. And I have to sometimes go back through my library and pull clips or I'll say, you know what? I've realized I haven't talked about this in a while. I use my producing experience in television as well as in coaching clients. And it's a really, it's a very specific skill set, I feel like, to do this on camera because I have to be 100% present. And I really feel like podcasting and doing my show live really helped me be able to do that for TV, where I can stay right there with my client and I can really feel the moment too. And I can feel like for TV, like we wanna see the emotions. So I know like I can fill this space and I can talk through it. Like if I were in a conversation with a friend and and didn't want them to get too down, or I can let the moment land and I can wait and I can ask one clarifying question that then brings the wash of emotions out of them. And that like, that's all I'm always wearing multiple hats. That that, that's kind of the, the, the tricky thing for me is that I I'm always wearing my producer hat. I'm always wearing my coaching hat and I'm always wearing my hosting hat at the same time. And that's why I also feel like I, I, I know there's more TV in me <laughs> to be done. But in the meantime, I love yeah. getting to explore that on the podcast because it's a little bit like lower stakes space to, to sort of play and see, see what I can learn and what I can share with the audience.
0: No, I love that. You talk about, you know, just being able to be really present to do your craft, especially if you're doing it on camera. It's so important to be able to just be focused on your craft and not be thinking about, is my agent getting me my next gig? Is the merch coming out? Is my website like all of that? Is my next gig? Is am I doing it right? Am I doing it right? Are they going to ask me back? Like all of that noise that accompanies, you know, those opportunities to be able to like sort of laser in and focus and be present with those clients. Like, if if you're not, and we we'll, we pick up on it. We're the HD cameras and and our impeccable eyes, man. Like our ears, we hear and see everything now. I used to you know, fly by us. Um, we got to work on a, a project over at FYA together in television. Um, you've talked about, you know, getting to be on the Drew Barrymore Shore. What's your advice for people who have a podcast who are looking to elevate um, and expand into larger media properties and looking for more coverage and looking for, to, to sort of grow their brand?
1: Right. Well, it begins with the work that you're already doing. A, a lot of people are like, you know, they just see me on Drew Barrymore Show or they see me on FYI and they're like, I want to do that. <laughs> they're just like, yeah. fast forward. But but one, I, I laid the foundation for that in all the years that I was a producer on television. And I also have really built my on-camera brand incrementally. So I started out... One, I was doing the podcast. So I had content that I was already creating for myself. So I had the experience. Like whether you're doing this in your garage, <laughs> I know it sounds really glamorous. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, if you're doing this in your garage, you you have a practicing ground where you can you can hone your skill to be able to to take it anywhere that you want it to go. And so I was doing that, But at the same time, I was pitching for news stories and just to be able, like, if you can do a local news segment and you get four minutes to get five talking points out, then you could, you can do a television show more than likely. And you have to, but you have to build in a place where the stakes aren't so high. So initially I was spending my own time and money. I would drive out to Palm Springs, two hours from where I am, but a smaller market, and they'd say, I have the 5 a.m. S- segment. And I'd say, I'll take it. Like, put myself up in a hotel, use my, my hotel points, and just make it happen. I'd drive to San Diego. And after doing that so many times, then I had a reel to be able to pitch myself for bigger opportunities and bigger opportunities. Also, Vinny, I have used my podcast as an opportunity to build relationships with the people that I would like to know. So I didn't. I didn't get this LA times column just by like pitching myself and submitting, you know, open queries. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I love the, I, I love the LA times. It's my home paper. Wouldn't it be cool if I had one of the editors on my show to talk about, you know, the, the, um, they have a column where people like tell their, their, their romance stories. And I was like, I'll have her on. She can talk about her stories. And then if there's an opportunity for us to collaborate, then we can. And And I'm always playing the long game. I'm always playing. I'm always playing the long game. I'm always building relationships for the long term. I'm never like, what do I, what can I get? What can I get from you? You know, (laughs) like, I'm sure you dealt with a lot of, a lot of talent that is just like, like Vinny, you are the chair. You are the chair that will get me into the network. Right. And that's just never been my philosophy from the time I was an assistant at CBS to the time I was an executive. And I still have people that have given me opportunities now that I worked with when I was when I was an assistant. Um, So I just always look at building the relationship. And from that from that episode, I was able to foster a relationship and ultimately turn it into a column. And yeah. so I never, I never know where it's headed, but if you're staying present and if you're really focusing on connecting to a person and maintaining the relationship, you can build from wherever you are.
0: And So, so you're using that sort of first sort of direction and then you're nurturing these ideas in a really steady incremental ways so that they're, it's really sort of growing into its own strength as opposed to maybe a pre, a preconceived notion of where you, what you wanted it to be versus like what you're hearing from feedback and. As the words and leave your mouth and hit your ears, and you're like, "Oh, you know what? Maybe I, maybe I quite didn't think what I thought <laughs> there."
1: And it's also going back and re-listening to the interviews that I've done. Like I study myself. I I'm like, "Oh, okay, you you weren't smiling and on camera. That didn't look like you wanted to be there. So you need to smile a little bit." There's one clip that. <laughs> <laughs> always makes me giggle where a, a host completely botched my introduction. Like she had no idea what it was saying and she's like not paying attention to the commas. And, and I, I, I didn't know the camera was on me cause I was just like listening to her like botch it and my face, I don't know if anyone else could read my face, but my face was like, what the hell is this lady saying? <laughs> and it's so obvious to me now. But, like, like, Ashton at the Kutcher, time... come out. Where are you? Oh, no. <laughs> and I'm getting But pumped. Like, my face was so, like, I could read my face from a mile away in HD, of course. That's <laughs> so, so funny. I learned from That's that. Hysterical. I was just like, okay, you have to assume, like, because you never know when they're going to switch to cameras, right? So if you're doing live television. So, you have to assume that the camera is always on you. Assume that the mic is always always hot (laughs) like there are a lot of people that haven't learned that lesson yet (laughs) so that's that was where I that's where I begin and then I every time I show up on set no matter what I'm doing if it's a five minute news segment or it's a an episode of television one I I practice my talking points like I know exactly what I'm talking about I, i never go in there half-assed. There's no small opportunity because you never know who's going to be watching. You never know where that clip might end up. And I, my goal is always like, do a, do a great job. So they will ask you back. I never go into any opportunity thinking I'm going to do this once. And sometimes I've only done it once, but more than more often than not, I show up, I'm prepared, I'm camera ready. I know my stuff and I smile (laughs) And more often than not, then when I follow up, they're like, we'd love to have you back again.
0: Yeah. Only once so far. So far. That's all.
1: Yeah. <laughs> right.
0: It's, right. Exactly. It's, you know, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty hard to get asked to do something, to be really honest and to be very transparent. It's even more difficult to get asked back, right? So like as difficult as it is for the initial um, opportunity it's even more difficult for producers to be able to say, hey, that was great. We'd love to have you back. We've been in the rooms when those conversations happen. So yes. to 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 use that opportunity and to know that everyone from the producer to the director that's going to be part of what you're doing is rooting for you because the easier you make their job, the quicker they'll have you come back.
1: That's the thing. I always think, how, and I always say this to producers too. Maybe this is why I get asked back. I say, my job is to make your job easy. My job is to make you look good. So I make sure that I'm fully prepared and fully present in the thing that I'm working on. I'm not thinking about getting the next gig in the moment that I'm there. I'm thinking about doing the best job. And then as soon as that's over... I start thinking about what's the next thing. So I'm also, Vinny, always thinking about what's the next angle like that. And this is another thing I probably picked up from even from casting and being a development executive. Like you might come in the room and pitch your idea. And I'm like, oh, well, I like you. The idea is not so right. But, you know, you seem like a good producer who I'd want to work with. What else you got? And if people are like nothing. You're like, thank you very much. And it was nice yeah, to meet oh, you. Oh, man. Like, you got, you've got to always have three ideas in your back yeah. pocket. So even if I'm going in for this one segment, I already know in my head what the next three segments possibly could be. And you also have to get a really thick skin for no's. I, I hear no way more often than I hear yes. And that was a really hard transition for me coming from being a network executive. People told me it was going to be hard. And I was like, nah, I got this. I got this. I have a thick skin. And when you're in the network executive chair and you're the one that's saying yes or no, and then you go to pitching ideas and pitching yourself and it's no, 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 you really have to develop that, that ability to persevere and know that your worth is not tied to the yes or the no.
0: Absolutely. And even then, by the way, saying no as an exec, as a casting director, unfortunately, you know, I actually really don't say no. I would just say it wasn't the right opportunity. Um, but if we're talking about decisions, unfortunately in casting, I say no, even probably more than the network does because of the amount of people that we meet in the siphoning that we're doing. And even that is traumatic, to be really honest to be blunt and, and, and honest about the casting experience as an executive on this side. It's not fun saying no. It's not fun not finding what people want you to find. It's not fun when it doesn't work out the way you want it to. It's not fun. It's especially not fun when the person is the right person, but they just don't have everything together yet. And you're like, oh, mm. you're going to give me – do I got some time? <laughs> Can I fix your Wikipedia? Can I get you a podcast? Can you need a book? What do I got to
1: – Yes. Drink yes, yes. I've seen that too and and I've also seen for f- particularly for actors I I w- I would often hear this mentality that casting directors were just all so mean and they just like they hate actors. <laughs> and I'm like we have to really reframe our thinking about that. Like I think the gatekeepers get villainized a lot because You, you, like, hold people's destiny in the palm of your hand, right? But I would always remind them, like, their job is to find the right person for this role. And they want nothing more than for you to be great. They want nothing more than for you to be the solution to the problem that they have. And maybe they've seen... (laughs) 70 people already today and they're a little bit tired and they, they can't like, this is the thing you've been looking forward to all week. This is like, they know in two minutes, if you are the one or not, and it's not, it's not, you can't take it personally. And I know this from being now on both sides. It's so hard to do it, but if you, if you kind of see the best in people and not look at it like they're creating the wall for you, they're creating the opportunity when it's the right time, then um, then you can see the path forward instead of the obstacle.
0: Yeah, I love that. When you're focused on the opportunity instead of the obstacles, for sure. In fact, to be honest, at the end of a casting day, I'm thinking about seeing 70 people. The thing, I'm actually, uh, my cheeks hurt. Because of smiling all day long, like you know, that super, I'm giving you every inch of white teeth whitening power I've possibly <laughs> got. Like a care, it's my care bear stare. <laughs> um, I, I'm projecting so much energy in those castings too. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, and and it's, it's casting's responsibility just to set the room and the tone. You know, the room tone to make sure that you know everyone really can be at their best. Um, but uh to step into the room knowing that the casting is the one person in the industry who's like literally paid to make you look great and to find you like the it's not the producer, the agent, the manager, the director, board, it's none of those people. Now they can do it, but they're just not hired to do it. And that's where casting really stands out. Um, mm-hmm. um I love that. Well I love that this like special skill of yours like connecting with people and and like listening to your story and listening to theirs and putting it together. I love that it's created this this interesting world around you. And finally, in 2021, everyone's like, oh, what you do, it makes total sense. But like you've been doing this for 10 years and for 10 years, you're like, does anyone know? What- <laughs> does anyone understand?
1: Completely. <laughs> like I didn't. I would never get a mention for my podcast on air when I would do a segment, you know. They'd be like, like, do you have a book? Do you have like, what are your credentials? <laughs> are you on a list? Do you got a
0: Twitter account, something?
1: <laughs> something. And like about, I would say two and a half years ago, they started embracing, like I'm talking days, mainstream media, like saying, Demona Hoffman, host of the Dates and Mates podcast. Now it's actually... It's actually like a notch on my belt as opposed to like, oh, we're not going to say that. But the the big thing that I often tell people, I, I've spoken on how to like build your brand and get publicity because um, I really I've really gotten dates and mates to where it is pretty much on my own. Um, I have a podcast publicist now who helps me book um, book interviews on uh, guest interviews on shows. But for the, a long time, it was just me. Hoofing it. <laughs> and the yeah, thing that hard. uh yeah, the thing that I think a lot of people don't realize when they are doing promo interviews is like it's your job to promote your stuff. It's not the host's job. Like so many times I would hear from people like, oh, I went on, and then like they didn't ask me anything about this. And I never got to say that I have a podcast or a book or whatever. And I'm like, that's your fault. I like, it's not up to them to steer the conversation to the thing you want to talk about. It's up to you. And this is a hard skill to develop, but it's really important to like, see how to weave your, your story and the thing that you are promoting into the conversation that you're having on your own without having to be prompted by the host.
0: Well, as you said earlier, just many, many hats, many you know opportunities. And, and going in and knowing what you want out of it is why it's even more important because people will take you along for the ride and they'll take you on their journey and they'll want to jump on yours. But like, you know, when, when we see these actors sitting down at junkets and we hear them repeating the same thing over and over again and we flip the channels and we say, why did they say the same thing over and over again? Because if they would have said like what oatmeal they were eating, that's what the news would have covered. It would, they would have not have covered the point of the entire press junket, which is, you know, watch the movie.
1: Yeah. What is it about? Because hmm. uh, too many people are like Jason starting podcasts meets. that are just hmm. like, I'm int- I'm interesting and my friend is funny and we're just going to talk about stuff. Eh, that's not a podcast. <laughs> that is That is happy hour at your house. <laughs> what is the angle? What's your point of view? I think there's enough room for everybody at the table, but you got to know like which chair you're sitting in. That's it.
0: I love it, and for people who are who have been listening to us talk about dates and mates, when, where, how can they find it in you, and all of your awesomeness?
1: <laughs> well, thank you for asking. What a wonderful host to tee up my <laughs> my promotion. Uh, dates and mates is a, a podcast on all of the major podcast platforms. It is. Not your mama's love advice. So that is the angle. And uh, we talk to everyone from magazine editors to authors to love experts to celebrities about uh, how to find love in the modern world. And then I also do the I Make a Living podcast, which uh, is coming back in late April. And that's for entrepreneurs, freelancers, side hustlers, anyone who's trying to make their own way in business.
0: I mean, all of us. That's everybody. Basically, it's for everybody.
1: I love (laughs) that. And then I'm on all the socials at my name, at Damona Hoffman.
0: Well, you're awesome. And thank you so much for carving out time to connect with me on this and and just sharing your energy. And I just, you know, I'm in this space. And as I figure out, you know, my footing, I just love figuring out who my neighbors are and what energy is out there. And I do believe in finding love online. I met my man online um, 10 years ago. Um, And I've used... I've been finding people online. I've turned that into a career. So, like, um, (laughs) I fully believe in like what you're doing, and I just love the narrative that you've put to it in in a really, you know, um, I don't want to say provocative, but in 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 a a pushing way where um, where you show up and you make people think, and I like it.
1: Thank you, thank you. Well, it's an honor to know you, and I am really excited to be on this journey with you. So, thank you for having me on the show.
0: Thanks for listening to I Have a Podcast. For more information about today's episode, visit us at IHaveAPodcast.com. If you like what you've heard, follow us or subscribe to be notified of our next episode. And we appreciate any kind reviews.